Good morning. Good morning, sons and daughters of the Most High God. I hope you're doing well. It's good to see some of you back today. Glad you're walking on your own, too. I'm looking at somebody specific, but I won't call her name out, Janice. <laughs> I'm in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 3. Would you join me there? The book of Acts, chapter 3. We looked at the first 10 verses of this chapter last week, and we'd like for us to look at the following verses. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. It says, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, now this was the guy that sat at the gate last week, you know, begging for alms because he was crippled, he couldn't do anything, and and so he'd been there all of his life. He'd been crippled all of his life. And so and then he was miraculously healed, right? And so this is the rest of that story. People still standing around watching what happened. They're all excited. And the beggar was holding on to Peter and John. He was saying, I can't believe y'all did this. I can't believe. I, I just can't believe. He's so excited. As you would be if somebody had given you uh, a new lease on life, some new help. And so he's holding on to them. And all the people were astonished. And came running to the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Now, Solomon's Colonnade was basically the front porch, if you would, of the temple area. It was the front porch. People always gathered there. And um, maybe some of you are old enough to have grown up with a front porch that actually got used. You know, front porches today are the size of maybe a flower pot. You know, it's not meant for anybody to sit on and hang out. But the house I grew up in, the whole front of the house was a front porch. It was a screened-in front porch. We, we were the uppity ones on the block because we had a screened-in porch, right? And it was big enough that you could put roller skates on and roller skate around because it was a concrete porch. And uh, all the neighbors would come over, and, and they would sit on one end, and the kids would play on the other end. And, and the, the adults would tell stories and talk about what was going on and solve one another's problems. We didn't have psychiatrists back in the day or psychologists back in the day. And somebody would just look at the other one and say, well, you're crazy. Stop doing that. And, and they would. It was pretty simple, right? Didn't have a whole lot of conversation about if you were messing up, just straighten up, do right. If someone was in need, mom or dad would walk back into the house and go get something, whatever it was, food or clothes or money, and hand it to the neighbor who was in need. And that's how, that's the front porch that I grew up on as a child. It was the family, the neighbors came together and they sat there and, and they helped one another. They took care of one another's needs. We don't have front porches anymore like we did back in the day. And maybe we could solve a lot more problems in the world or maybe some problems in our community if we sat on our front porches more because we didn't have air conditioning either. Uh, the air conditioning we have is the kind you held in your hand like this and fan back and forth, right? That was the air conditioning. Well, they gathered at Solomon's Colonnade, the front porch of the temple area. And it was kind of a community gathering spot. Anybody could gather there where... When you went inside the temple, you had to, you know, be a certain person before you could get inside. And if you had anything wrong with you, you couldn't go inside the temple. You couldn't go to church, so to speak. But here on the front porch, everyone was welcome. And when Peter saw this, he said to the men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? <clears throat> now, just remember, Jesus had only been gone a few days, right? Maybe a few weeks by the time this happened, but, but, you know, he died. 
He rose again, right? He hung out with everybody for 40 days, and then he ascended. And for 10 days, they prayed, and the Holy Spirit came. And this apparently happened sometime right after the Holy Spirit was given. So Jesus was not out of everybody's mind. And remember, he'd gone around healing people. Remember, he'd raised Lazarus from the dead, he'd healed people, put blind eyes back in the right place, and so forth. And Peter's like, well, didn't you see what Jesus did? Don't you remember what Jesus did? Have you, forgotten the, have you forgotten the stories of three years while he did all these great things? Why does this surprise you? He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. However, you handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one, and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you all can see. What a, what a powerful presentation of the gospel. The same people standing at Solomon's colonnade, the same people standing at the front porch on this day were the same people who 50 or 60 days prior to this had screamed out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And now Peter was bringing that back to his mind. Hey, you see what this guy did? He just got healed. You remember Jesus healed all those people? That's the same guy you crucified on the cross. It's the same guy that you chose Barabbas over, a murderer, a thief over, then Jesus, you wanted him to be set free, and Jesus hung on the cross. Do you remember what you did to Jesus? Powerful message. These people were cut to the heart because they were going, what, huh? You mean the guy we hung on the cross is the same guy that that healed this guy here and healed all those people? Yes. It's the same one. It's the same one. (laughs) Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. So he's giving them a little reprieve here. I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus, He must remain in heaven until time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said in Deuteronomy 18.18 that the Lord your God would raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Moses prophesied that Jesus would come. Did you realize that? In Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, a book that no Christian ever gets to anymore, right? Like you get, you get to, you know, Genesis, okay, Exodus, okay, Leviticus, no, nah, nah, I'm not going to read that much. Numbers, why do I want to read about Numbers? Deuteronomy, I don't even know how to say that. I can't even spell it while I read it, right? We don't get to that book, but in that book, in 1818, Moses said, I'm prophesying that Jesus Christ is coming. And that prophecy was fulfilled. That's why you can trust the Bible, because of the hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled in the New Testament. This is one of them. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all people on earth will be blessed. 
And when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. We've been talking about fortitude for a while. And I see a, I see a huge measure of fortitude right here. Here's Peter, 50, 60 days removed from the crucifixion of Jesus when he denied the Lord how many times? Three times, right? Three times he denied the Lord three times. And here he is, 50 or 60 days later, something's happened to Peter. Something has changed in Peter. He ran and hid like a coward when they were about to crucify Jesus. And here we have him preaching to the same people that crucified Jesus boldly, saying, you did it. 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 He's pointing a finger at him and saying, you crucified Jesus. When 50 or 60 days before, he ran and hid when Jesus was crucified. Something happened. Something changed in Peter's life. And I would suggest to you that when something changes in our life, we will live a life of fortitude. We will be just as bold as Peter. We won't back down at school, which, by the way, starts in a few days. Are you ready for it? No, you're not. Yes, you are. We've got one over here that's ready for school to start back and three that aren't. Okay. Two that aren't. Three, three, three. Only one's ready to go back to school. So we, I see that hand in the back. You ready? Ready for school. Right. Two hands. He's just not going to raise it. Good job. All right. I'm convinced that, that when something changes in us, we will be bold like Peter. We won't be afraid to go to school or the workplace or the marketplace and tell people about Jesus. Here are four things I discover about Peter. Four things that changed. First off, Peter knew the word of God. Here, here Peter is quoting Deuteronomy 18.18. 18. Peter knew the word of God. Now, here's the thing about a Jewish, a Jewish boy. When he turned 12, he became a Jewish man. Okay, you, you were a man. You went to work. Uh, you could marry. Uh, you could have kids. At 12 years old, as a Jewish boy, you became a man. And you set about doing what your father was doing. Every Jewish dad, now check this out. Every Jewish dad hoped and prayed to God that their son would become a priest in the temple. That was the ultimate job your son could have was be a priest in the temple to become a priest in the temple Dwayne you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers and Deuteronomy plus a bunch of other questions that you would be asked by the priest and you had to answer them correctly and then you could become a priest Peter wasn't a priest because apparently Peter had not studied the word of God enough to become a priest maybe he couldn't memorize all that maybe he was a little fuzzy on some of the details but he couldn't be a priest. He wasn't a priest, right? But when he needed it, in the, in the moment when God called him to act with fortitude, he had a scripture in his pocket that he could pull out. He had it written on a card, maybe, like I do. I've got all my scriptures written down that I'm trying to memorize on my cards. Maybe he had a card that he pulled out and said, I remember Deuteronomy 18, 18, where Moses prophesied that Jesus would come. And he told this crowd of Jewish people standing out there. Listen, when Peter quoted Moses, it meant something to the Jewish people. It doesn't mean anything to us today. We're not Jewish people. We didn't grow up in that culture. We don't understand it. But when he said it in front of the temple, of the front porch of the temple, that Moses prophesied that Jesus would come, every one of them 
listened up. Oh, Peter's quoting Deuteronomy. Peter's quoting Moses. Moses was our leader. He brought us out of Egypt. Moses said that? I didn't know Moses said that. He drew them back to the Old Testament. He drew them back to a passage of Scripture that meant something. So what I see first about Peter is Peter got reacquainted with the Word of God in his heart, in his mind, in his spirit. And I think the Holy Spirit's driving all of these four things I'm going to say. But Peter had a word for the people. And it's that passage. Secondly, Peter knew God's history with Israel. Peter knew God's history with Israel. He talked about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and our fathers. He talked about the prophets. He, he knew what God had done in his life. And I think you and I will live a life of fortitude. When we look back at our own lives... And see how God's been at work in our lives. Every one of us could write a book. And the book should, should be titled Chosen. That God chose you. Period. And he started to work in your life from that moment on. And we won't fully understand our life until we get to heaven and look back and go, Oh, that's why that happened. Oh, that, oh I get that now. Oh, I see why that happened. That's why that person came into my life. That's why that person went out of my life. We'll understand all that better by and by, like the song says. But if we would be willing to look back at our own journey with Jesus, we would see he's been there all along. In, in your weakest moment of faith, in your weakest moment of faith, Jesus is still with you. Do I need to say that in, in Swedish? In your weakest moment of faith, when you've just given up on everything, Jesus is still right there. He's not left you. And when we look back on our history like Peter was doing here, he's saying, man, look back at the history. Look how God has always loved Israel and always made a way. Yeah, we've been in captivity a bunch of times because of our own sin, our own wicked ways. But God has always been there on the other side of that to say, now, come on now. Come on now. Follow me. Follow me some more. Follow me this way. Peter knew what God had done in the life of Israel. Do you know what he's done in your life? Can you look back and see the, the points in your life where God intervened, showed up, spoke up, showed off, whatever it was for you? See, God's at work in everybody's life all the time, all around the world, trying to convince them that he loves them. He's in your life right now he's in Ezekiel unborn life right now trying to demonstrate his love for him even right now third thing Peter knew the spiritual condition <clears throat> of those around him I mean, he just he lays it out there you handed Jesus over to be killed you disowned him before Pilate even though Pilate had decided to let him go you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. He knew the spiritual condition of those around him. Here in the last couple of weeks, I've been studying a statistic that's just, it, it troubles me. I know I've mentioned it before, but I'm going to mention it again because it troubles me, and it should trouble you. It should trouble all of us who claim the name of Jesus, and that is this. Starting this week or next week, depends on the school system, 
there's going to be 53 million students going to school. 53 million students. Generation Z, it's called, has about 73 million of them. 53 million will be starting school on some level. Kindergarten through 12th grade this week. 40% of them are fatherless. They don't have a father in the home to, to guide them, to help them on the way. 12% of them attend church. And that means their parents aren't taking them because most of them can't drive, right? So that means it's a whole generation before them that are not going to church and are not taking their kids to church. They're not involved in, in Christian activities that we know of. 12%. What happens with the next generation coming along? What percent will go to church then? We're down around 1% or 2%, right? perhaps. And so what happens when there's more people filled with evil than are filled with Jesus? What happens to a society when that happens? It falls apart. Yes, Millie, it falls apart. It unravels. So we, those of us in this room, the, the, the 50 of us in this room, need to be praying for the 50 million students every day, every day, every week as they go to school that somebody would lead them to Jesus. And when we have the opportunity to share Jesus with a, with a student, a child, that we would be bold like Peter and share Jesus. Peter looked at the condition around him and realized, there's a lot of people here that are going to die and go to hell if I don't tell them about Jesus. And with great fortitude, he stood up in a crowd that could have easily stoned him. Just like, they could have easily killed him just like they did Jesus. But he stepped up and said, you guys have been rebellious to Jesus. You need to repent. You need to repent from your wicked ways. You killed the author of life. God raised him from the dead. You need to trust in him. 53 million. I pray to God that, that God would raise up men and women all around our country that would have a passion for winning students to Jesus Christ. You know, we can't talk about it much in school anymore like we used to, but we can still talk about Jesus wherever we go, whether it's in school or out of school, wherever we find ourselves. We need to be like Peter and talk about Jesus because we're all missionaries. Every one of you who said yes to Jesus, you signed up to become a missionary. And you can be a missionary in so many different ways. You don't have to get on a plane and fly to another country. You can be a missionary simply by praying for lost people to be saved. You can be a missionary by saying on any given day, God, I'm going to be going about my day today. I'm going to be going out today. Help me tell somebody about Jesus. And he will put somebody in your path to tell about Jesus. Now, that may mean you carry their load in some way, something they're struggling with. And that may be the way you tell them about Jesus. You may have to use words to tell somebody about Jesus. Sometimes the best way to tell people about Jesus is to not use words. Amen? Sometimes you have to use words. The fourth thing I see about Peter, I see this change in his life. The fourth thing I see about Peter is Peter knew the heart of Jesus. He knew the heart of Jesus. This passage, it says, It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to this man, as you all can see. The heart of Jesus is complete healing. 
The heart of Jesus is complete healing in our lives. Whatever the wound is, Jesus wants to come in and heal it. He's, he's, got, he's got the medicine. He's, he's, he's got whatever it takes to come into your life and heal that wound. Is it a wound of bitterness? He can heal that. What, what is your wound? He wants to step in and heal that. Is it unforgiveness? He's got that. He, he can take care of that. Because he forgave the whole world. Right? He forgave the whole world. He hung on the cross and said, Father, Father, don't hold this against them. They, they, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. When they're killing the author of life. So Jesus knows how to deal with unforgiveness. Do you need help with that? Do you, do you need help with, <clears throat> with finances? Jesus can help you with that. He sent the disciples down to the ocean to catch a fish. And inside the fish's mouth was enough money to pay taxes. Now, wouldn't that be nice on April 15th? Then on April 14th, we all go fishing, right? Over at Percy Priest, we throw a hook in, bring a fish out, and it's got a wad of money in there. You know, 50% of what you made all year goes to Uncle Sam, right? Right? That'd be a big fish, wouldn't it? Big mouth full of money. You got problems in your marriage? Jesus knows how to take care of that. He brought Eve to Adam and said, hey, let's work this thing out. He can take care of that. He wants complete healing for whatever's going on in your life. He really, that's the heart of Jesus. And Peter knew that. How did Peter know that? Because Peter denied Jesus three times, right? And then when Jesus was resurrected, the guys were out fishing. They came back in, and there was Jesus on the seashore cooking fish, right? Jesus was cooking fish. Did you know that? Jesus is a good cook. He was cooking some fish. And Peter came over, and they sat down, and they talked about it, and Jesus was trying to minister to them. And he told Peter, feed my sheep, right? How many times did he tell Peter that? There's the answer in my hand. Three times. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? How many times did Jesus ask him to feed his sheep? He restored. He brought complete healing. Peter, here's how you messed up. Here's how I want to heal you. You've heard me say this before, that, that when you and I are sitting at the table and we spill the milk, Jesus doesn't get up with a, a stick or a belt or a switch and beat us for spilling the milk. He gets up and gets a paper towel. He hands us a couple. He takes a couple. He says, let me get in here and clean this up with you. Let's work together and clean this up. And let me teach you how not to spill your milk again. Let me show you how to reach out and grab that glass and not, and not knock it over. That's the God we serve. Wherever you've messed up, whatever you've done, whatever you've spilt in your life, Jesus is, is in there with you. He says, I want to get down here with you. I want to fix this. Let's, let's clean this up. Let's make it right. Let's move forward. I've got great things planned for you. I've got great things planned for you. He loves bringing complete healing in our lives. And he says, now let's don't remember this anymore. Let's move on. Let the past be in the past. Something happened in Peter. There was the Holy Spirit came on him. And he was willing to live a life of fortitude and speak truth into these people's lives. Even though it hurt them, it cut them. It cut them deeply. And we read the rest of the story later on that many of them repented and believed and trusted in Jesus Christ. Your boldness will put somebody in heaven. Your boldness will put somebody in heaven. Your boldness to live a life of fortitude, 
The four things, right? Fortitude, F-O-U-R, fortitude. Love God, love yourself, love others, and love his creation. If you just do those four things every day, every week, you'll live a life of boldness, and you'll usher people into heaven with you.